how beautiful of a prayer was that? Just heartfelt, just straight from the heart, right? Thank you so much, Greg. I think he should get bonus points for using the word smorgasbord in a prayer, right? I'm sure God also really appreciated being called accommodating as one of his main attributes, right? But if you're anything like Greg, and maybe you've seen that scene before, but if you can identify Greg, I know I've been there and maybe you have as well. It is so easy to make prayer, the simple, simple thing called prayer, so complicated, like some speech you have to rehearse or you're worried about everything is going to come out. And I don't know if you're like me, but prayer is one of the things that we struggle with the most, Now, we know what it is, but knowing how to do it and making it an actual part of our lives is difficult. If I say the word prayer, what immediately comes to mind? Is it a good thing? Is it it an awkward thing? Is it a weird thing? What if I take it a step further? What if I said, hey, I would love for you to pray out loud for somebody. I would love for you to stand up, come up here right now and say a prayer in front of the whole congregation. Some of you are like, I would rather go to the dentist and get a root canal than pray in front of you, right? That's kind of how you view prayer. Maybe you're like Greg and it's just kind of this complicated, weird thing and I don't know what to say. For some of you, it just feels weird, like it's some magic thing, like I'm talking to somebody that doesn't, is not here, like I'm talking to myself, it's just this weird thing. Whatever it is for you, it can become so complicated or awkward or weird, and some of you might say, I want to be better at prayer, but I just don't know how. Nobody has ever taught me what to say. And still others of you, I guarantee, if you're honest, you would say, I'm just not that interested. Fortunately, there is a version of Christianity that sometimes we live where we get in our heads and we make this assumption that there's like, there's me. I'm like an ordinary Christian. I come here to Hope Des Moines. I come here to worship on a regular basis. And that's just me. And then there's those other Christians that like really get it. You know, like the super spiritual types that know how to say, oh, sweet Lord of hosts and all these things that you have no idea what they mean. There's those Christians and then there's me and me as an ordinary Christian, like I'm just going to go through my normal Christian life and prayer, it's just sort of on the side. And yet we encounter scriptures like our passage today that you heard Mary read, prayer is really not an option. The assumption is made that prayer is a part of our everyday life. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? They should sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another so you may be healed. And then let's read this last part together, nice and loud, up on the screen. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. One more time, just so we get it in our heads. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Two parts to that, a righteous person. If you're wondering if you're righteous or not, if you know Jesus Christ and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, his blood covers over you, which means you are righteous, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, your brokenness, your insecurities, your weakness. He sees himself, Jesus Christ. You are righteous. Therefore, when you pray, it works. That's what scripture says. It is powerful and effective. James is assuming that his followers, Jesus, prayer prayer is not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's like breathing. It is as natural as breathing. How many of you walked in here today going, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Do it better, do it better, do it better. I'm worried how my breathing's gonna sound. Breathe in, breathe out. No, you didn't do that. It is the most natural thing in the world. You don't even think about it. That's the goal with prayer. 
that it would be as natural as breathing in God's spirit and breathing out. The most normal, natural thing in the world to do. Think about this. Strip away every assumption that you have about prayer, that you've never heard of this thing before. And let me just lay it out to you this way. If you had the opportunity to have daily conversation with the kindest, most compassionate, most loving, wisest, smartest, most powerful being in the universe, would you take them up on that? I think we would. It would just change the way that we see prayer. Would you take them up on that? I'm like really wanting to know. Would you? Four of you. Awesome. All right. Would you take them up on that? Yes. I just want to make sure you're with me. That, that's essentially what prayer is. And how do we get started in that? Well, we go back to the beginning. We start by defining what prayer is. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 in the beginning. Now when I say let's start by defining what prayer is, some of you are like, I'm going to check out. John, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I've been in prayer groups. I've been in Bible studies. I know what prayer is. Do you? Or is that only based on your experience of prayer? Or what works for you? Or what's convenient for you? Or what denomination in the church you grew up in? Or maybe you didn't grow up in church at all. And you're like, I have no idea where to start. Well, if you're in any of those spots, today is for you, because we're going to start at the beginning. And we're going to start at the beginning. You know the familiar story here in Genesis. Chapter 1, God creates everything. Chapter 2, creates Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the story takes a turn. Adam and Eve eat from the tree. They eat the fruit. By the way, this is just a little side note, it doesn't say apple. So when I teach kids these Bible stories, I say they can eat whatever fruit you want them to eat. They can eat a watermelon for all I care because it doesn't say. They ate the fruit of the tree. The point of the story is that we think about Genesis and we think about the tragedy and we pick up the story in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the Garden. So aside from the tragedy that's taken place here, did you catch what God is doing? The God of the universe, the God that created everything, God is walking among people. So often, when I say Genesis, when I, when I say the Garden of Eden, what do you think of? Sin, probably, right? Adam and Eve biting the fruit. What if when I said the Garden of Eden, we thought of God's original intentions for us to be in relationship with him? This was normal. God is pursuing Adam and Eve. He didn't just leave them to their own devices. He didn't just say, well, that's great. You sinned. End of story. He came after them. You don't pursue somebody unless you want to be in a relationship with them. And so here they are hiding in their guilt and shame, and God comes and says, I want to talk with you. This is what we were created for. Remember this intimacy that we once had? I want that. But now because of what you've done, that's been broken. What we know from Genesis is that you and I were created for a conversational intimacy with God. And I know when I say that word intimacy, some of you are like, ooh, should we talk about that in church? Isn't that kind of a, kind of a romantic, kind of a sexual thing? Like, why are we scared of talking about that in church? You do know that God invented sex, right? Because he invented us. We are sexual people. So we don't need to shy away from that. 
But intimacy is not just a sexual thing. Intimacy is a relational thing at its core. We were created for intimacy with God. You can have intimacy with a close friend. It means that you're vulnerable, that you're authentic, that you've let your guard down, that there's grace for each other. There's no guilt and there's no shame. That's what we were created for, for a conversational intimacy. In fact, the Bible is full of stories of God talking directly with his people. Exodus 33, I love this one. It says, God spoke to Moses as a man speaks with his friend. It's like Moses is down here in the dirt and it's almost like the God of the universe goes, okay, Moses, let's talk. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come and visit your house and I'm just gonna, we're just gonna sit together on your front porch or your step or whatever you have and we're just gonna talk. Amazing. You, you go on and you, you read these stories. God and David had a conversation. The Lord spoke to Noah. Noah spoke to the Lord. It's a two-way conversation. When I say prayer, what direction do you think of? You think of a one-way direction, right? How many times do you hear people say, hey, you want to shoot a few prayers up to God? What, are we texting him or something? Like, is this a one-way thing? Prayer is a conversation. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. We were created for that. You think about all these stories of God talking with his people, and that's a far cry from what we've dwindled down prayer to be sometimes. Uh, 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 dear God, you know, help me have a good day today and help my family and help me have a good week at work and thanks, you know, for everything. Amen. Like, really? Do you remember who you're talking to? Do you remember who you're talking to? One of my favorite stories of God talking to his people is Enoch. By the way, we have a lot of young couples in this church that are maybe looking to name babies. Enoch is still on the table. Uh, and I'm not making, it's going to make a comeback. I guarantee it. So Enoch is this old guy. He gets four or five lines that summarize his entire life, okay? But he made the Bible, okay? And this is what, how they summarize his life. Genesis 5 verse 21, it says this. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. So those of you guys that are retirement age and beyond, had a kid at six, just look out. Uh, verse 22. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked... What? Enoch walked with God for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived, holy cow, 365 years. Enoch, so how do you summarize his life? Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Man, if I'm going to go out, that's how I want to go out, right there. That's it. I would love at the end of my life, if somebody was trying to summarize my life, that they wouldn't talk about my accomplishments, they wouldn't talk about how smart I was or anything that I did. Wouldn't it be great if somebody were to be able to say of your life, they walked with God for 300 years. They had an intimate relationship with God. They were known by him. Not I ran out ahead of God with my own agenda. Not I accomplished and did, I got really busy for God. His number one desire is that you would learn to walk with him in a conversational intimacy where you know him and he knows you. Okay, that's great, Pastor John. You're saying that's awesome, but those are all Old Testament. Those are all old guys from way back then, and that's in the Bible, and we all know that that doesn't really happen today. How do you actually walk with 
God. It's kind of a weird way to think about it, but let's unpack it from a human standpoint. One of the things that we ask a lot of our participants in our core class that we do that's actually going on right now is teaching about prayer. One of the assignments we give them is to find their spouse or a close friend, maybe their best friend that really knows them well, that they're just able to have a normal conversation with. And we say, your homework is to go on a walk. Like nothing's more normal or natural than that. We say, go down to Gray's Lake, or if it's cold, go to the mall or do whatever you need to do, and go on a walk for an extended period of time. And here's the challenge. Have a conversation. I know, it sounds crazy. No phones, no iPads, not sitting in front of a screen. Actually talk to each other. I saw a coffee shop that had a billboard sign out in front that says, no Wi-Fi, talk to somebody. Comes to that sometimes. So we teach them to have a conversation with your spouse or the person, your best friend, the somebody that knows you really well, and just walk and talk and practice active listening and empathy, empathize with them, feedback what you hear them saying, talk a little bit and then listen, talk a little bit and then listen, back and forth, back and forth, and get to a point where it's just normal and you're walking and you're having a conversation, and then stop and go your separate ways and keep the conversation going with God. And that's how we teach people to pray. Because it should be as normal. And the hope is that nothing changes. The hope is you don't have to change your tone of voice or sound all religious or anything like that. It's the most natural thing in the world. Think about the reason that you and I don't share things with people from a a human standpoint. We're worried about what people are going to think. We're worried about how we're going to appear We're worried if what we say is going to come out right. And maybe most importantly, the one that's deep down, if they find out this about me, will they still accept me? If they really knew who I was, if they really knew what I had done, if somebody at church found out the kind of person I was before I came here, I'd probably get kicked out. You're welcome here. There's no perfect people allowed here, actually. So if you're imperfect, you fit right in. And we worry about that, and yet, the answer for all of that is grace. Grace is saying, I know everything about you, all of your flaws, all of your insecurities, all your fears, and I love you just the same. That's called grace, and that's the foundation, among many things, of marriage. That's the foundation of any friendship. I know everything about you and I love you and accept you just the same. So think about it this way. If God created you and he knows you better than you know yourself, he knows everything about you and everything you've ever done and everything you will do, and he loves you unconditionally, so much so that he went to the cross for you, that prayer should be the safest place in the world. It should be the least intimidating, safest place. And there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to go all in. To go all in. Jesus was once asked, what, what's the most important commandment? Like, boil all the 600 commands of the Old Testament down. What's the most important thing? And he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, be all in. There's no reason. you. I, I want to have a relationship with you. If you are loving somebody with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you have an intimate relationship with them. Now think about it again in human terms. What other relationship 
can survive without regular communication. Imagine this. You get married, or for those of you that are, go back to your wedding day and imagine this. You turn to your, your, your newlywed, your, turn to your spouse, the bride or the groom, and you say, Honey, this was a great wedding day. It was, it was a fun, you know, we had the bachelor party and, and it was awesome and all these experiences and all these people came and the reception was great. It was so much fun being engaged to you. We had a great party. I'm, I'm so in love with you. But I think moving forward from this day, um, probably what I'll be able to give you is about uh, an hour once a week, probably on Sundays. Uh, and, you know, life's just really busy, and uh, this was fun and all, uh, but I guess we'll just have to talk to each other uh, later when we can catch up. (laughs) What? That would be crazy, right? No relationship could survive that way. Communication is the foundation of any relationship. Imagine telling your kids that. I'll see you in a month. No. You talk to them on a regular basis, so why not with God? When you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in him, we enter into a relationship. We are one with him. A couple weeks ago, those of you that were baptized, that's what happens. You were united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection as you came up through the water. Christian means to be in Christ. You are united with him, and that's a relationship. That's an all-in relationship. There's no halfway with following Jesus. There's no dipping your toes in the water and trying it out for a little bit. You're either all in or you're not. It is not primarily an assent to some intellectual beliefs. It's not trying to be a better person. Coming to faith doesn't mean I have a new Sunday routine. Well, I get up and I go to church now. That's what I do. Nothing else has changed, but I go to this building and I worship. Man, if that's all it is, you are missing out on the adventure of following Jesus daily. What other, I was thinking this week, what other relationships require an all-in commitment? Just thinking about this is hard to believe. Uh, six years ago, five years ago now, New Year's Day 2009. I'm in a great mood because we're fresh off of an Iowa Bowl victory. I bring Tiffany, my girlfriend at the time, over uh, from my house where I grew up in the parsonage next door to the church, and I bring her over to the church where I grew up. Now, she was kind of in a bad mood because she was thinking we were going to have some romantic date. We were going to go out for dinner and go to this movie she really wanted to see. And instead, I said, you know, why don't we just go over to the, the youth room in the church basement and play ping pong or something? He's like, are you kidding me? Man, I don't know about this guy. So she's frustrated already. Until I brought her upstairs and we walked into the back of the sanctuary and there with the lights down low up in front and the stage and the altar is covered with candles. And she starts to cry and I start to cry and we walk up the aisle, the same aisle that we walked down together to be married, walked out together. And we get to the front and I'm crying and she's crying and I play her and sing her this song that I wrote on the guitar which will never be played again. You will never hear that. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter how it sounded. And then as a sign of what I wanted to be in her life, of this all-in commitment, I washed her feet. Because men, that's what it means to be married, is to be there to serve, and to lift her up, to be there for her. And then, shaking, I go over to the, I hit it behind the lectern, I think, and I get the, the ring, and I pull it out, and I'm like shaking, and I, of course, I get down on a knee, and I ask her to marry me, and at first, she just like cries, it's like tears of joy, but then like 
10 or 15 seconds go by and it feels like an eternity. Like, ladies, if you ever get proposed to, say yes, then cry, okay? Just don't <laughs> leave us boys hanging out there, okay? So eventually she says yes. Thank God. Okay, great. Didn't go all this for nothing. Okay, so she says yes. And I wasn't worried about that because I knew that we loved each other. And I wasn't nervous about how it was going to sound or anything. I was nervous because of the decision that it was. This is, this is an all-in decision. My life before marriage and after marriage are completely different. My life is never going to be the same. This ring that I wear on my finger is not a piece of metal. Among many things, it means three things. Number one, it is a daily reminder to me that she is the priority in my life. And this might be a little challenging because our culture is drifting in a direction where you kind of get married, but then it's like, well, my in-laws are important, and what if my parents want me to do something, and my siblings are kind of important to me, and I had all these good friends before I got married. Time out. That person that you just committed to is the number one priority in your life, and that is the relationship above all else that you are called to invest in. More important than your parents or her parents or your siblings or her siblings or any of your friends, you are married to this person, which means you have become one flesh, which means if that relationship isn't right, none of the other ones will be. More important than your kids is your marriage because what your kids need is a mom and dad who are in love with each other. And that takes time and that takes investment. So number one, that means priority. Number two, when I gave this to her, well, when she gave it to me and I gave hers to her, that means investment. One of the most dangerous things we can do is when we get engaged, we get married, is that we stop pursuing the other person. And the relationship crumbles because before we were engaged, it's like, I don't want to spend every waking moment with you. And then after we get married, it's like, oh, life got busy and sorry, we haven't been on a date in two months. That is unacceptable. <laughs> This is the number one person in your life. And number three, the reason I say that is this means delight. I delight in you. There's, I, I love being with you. It being, brings me joy to be in a relationship with you. <laughs> Tiffany and I were like, really having, our son was being a punk last night. And we were disciplining him. And, like We were being serious. Like He would not listen to us. And parents, I don't know if you've ever been there where it's like, you're so mad that you start to laugh. Like, it's just hilarious that this is happening. And you're like, someday he will realize, this, was, he's a punk. And so we're like disciplining him. In the middle of that, we just start laughing. Like, like, like covering my mouth with my shirt because I'm just busting out laughing. Not because it was, that's not serious, but because we just love doing life together. Like, if you're married, where did the joy go? And so I say all those things, make them a priority, invest and delight in each other. This is not a sermon on marriage. I mean, you can take it for what it's worth. Take all those things and apply them to your relationship with God. And I just want to challenge you this morning. Is your relationship with God the number one priority in your life? Above everything else, your work, your hobbies, your social life, anything else, is the number one priority in your life. Number two, are you taking time to daily invest in your relationship with God? If communication is the foundation, when's the last time you had a conversation with God? Uninterrupted. And number three, do you delight in your relationship with God? If prayer is a continual conversation, as you're going through your day, I hope multiple times, but at least one time in your lifetime, that in the middle of praying with God and hearing from him, you will bust out laughing uncontrollably. 
God created laughter. He created joy. And, and, and as you're going through your day, that you would feel his presence at work, at your computer, as close as somebody is with their hand on your shoulder. And that if something funny happens, he's laughing right along with you. When I get to heaven, the number one, the first thing I'm going to do is say, Jesus, could you just tell me one of those jokes you used to tell the disciples? God created joy. And your relationship with him is meant to be full of joy. It's not meant to be duty. It's meant to be delight. Do you ever just laugh with God? But if we're honest, all those things that I just described about a human relationship are not true for you. And you're saying, I long for that. I want that. But there's some barriers that are getting in the way. How many of you have ever tried to develop just... I'm totally with you. I'm raising my hand for all of this, so you're not alone. How many of you have ever tried to develop a daily prayer routine? Just raise your hands, okay? How many of you have completely failed? Be honest, you're in church. Okay, right? How many of you have tried different ways of praying and focusing, but every time you go to pray, you just get distracted and your mind's racing with all these other things and you can't think straight and you're like, was that me thinking? Was that God? Or was that last night's pizza? Or what was that? Does anybody else get distracted? I get distracted, right? So many things. We get so frustrated. It's like I, I try and I try and I try and no matter how hard I try, it doesn't work. Kind of like trying to put a fitted sheet onto a bed. <laughs> anybody ever experienced this? As you watch this next video, this might apply to some of your prayer life. Let's take a look. So take that bed, right? How many of you have ever been there? Have ever been there? How about folding a fitted sheet? If you get that figured out, maybe you know. Maybe you know and tell me afterwards. Have you ever been there when it comes to prayer? I tried that and I tried that and I tried that and I tried that and I just can't do it. And some of you have said, I give up. And chances are what's happening is not, the issue is not with God. He is always communicating. The issue is with us is that we have these barriers in our lives that I think a lot of times we're just believing myths that aren't true that get in the way of you and I developing a more prayerful life. And so what I want to do is I want to just walk through four among many common myths that you and I are probably believing at one point or another during our lives. And this is, you know, funny and like, yes, I'm going to pop these balloons. It'll keep you awake if you're falling asleep. Um, And this is kind of goofy and funny, but here's the thing. This is really serious because a lot of these things are getting in the way of a relationship with God for you. That's why it's serious. That's why this matters. So what's the first myth, assumption that we make about prayer that needs to be busted? Number one is, what if I do it wrong? What if I do it wrong? Turn to your neighbor, look at him with this concerned look and say, what if I do it wrong? Just ask him that right now. What if I do it wrong? Some of you are saying, I can't, I can't pray like a pastor. I can't pray like Jed, the worship leader. I guess, you know, I've tried so many different ways. I just can't figure it out. I'm not sure what to say. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, and when you pray, do not babble on and on and on like the pagans. Do not babble on and on with these long, extended, holy thou art prayers that nobody can understand for no reason just to make yourself look good. And so he said, this is how you learn to pray, is you go into your room where nobody else is and nobody can else hear you, and you shut the door, and you pray to your father who is in secret. The word for father there is Abba, which means daddy. And that's how you approach God, as a father that you feel completely comfortable running up onto his lap, and you don't care how it sounds. And not only that, do we really believe 
that when we are talking to the God of the universe who sent his son to take your dirty, broken, messy sin and nail it to the cross, that he saw you at your worst and continues to see us at our worst. Do we really think that he is going to be offended or put off by an honest attempt at prayer that maybe doesn't come out right? Absolutely not. There is no wrong way to pray when you are honestly seeking to talk to God. Myth busted. But there's more. That might be the one for you. For some of you, the myth is this. Prayer is only for super spiritual people. It is only for the professionals. I'm just an ordinary Christian, and then there are the professionals. You know those people that have like the spiritual gift of prayer? Well, that's not me, right? Or maybe you just grew up in a church background where the pastor does all the praying. And so you just sit back, and I'll come, and the pastor, the priest, he'll say some weird prayers, and that's supposed to like cover me. God longs for you to talk to him, not me to talk to him for you. He wants you, and he wants your heart, not for an hour once a week, but all throughout the week. He wants to talk to you on Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday night and all throughout the week. A constant conversation. It's not just for super spiritual. It's not just for the professionals, and we know that. First Peter reminds us, God says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Let me blow your minds with something. Scripture is saying, you are a priest. Not the guy standing up front in a robe. No, you. You are the priest of your household, which means you have the same access in prayer to God that I do and the same access in prayer to God that the Pope does. I love him. Francis is a great guy. He's also an ordinary guy, just like you, who God longs to hear from. Some people will say, John, can you pray for me? Because, man, could you put in a good word? What, what is this, like a chain of command or something like that? I'm really not that great at prayer. I'm learning right alongside you, but the same spirit that lives in me lives in you. We don't have to be professionals here. Speaking of, I, I love this passage in James because they insert this little story about Elijah. So back to James chapter 5, it says, Elijah was a human being just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. <laughs> I just love how straightforward that is. Here's Elijah, this biblical hero that we put up on a pedestal, and he's always got prayer figured out. And I love James just comes out and says it. He is no different than you. There is no, there is no difference. And he prayed, and things happen. And when you pray, things can happen. So believe in the power of prayer. Take God up on his promises. Is it just for professionals? That's a hard myth to bust right there. You need to get out a knife or something like that. No, it is not. Number three. Here's the number three myth. I'm sure this doesn't affect you at all. I just don't have time to pray. I just don't have time to pray. I, John, it's seriously. It's modern day here. It's 2016. Seriously. I don't, life is too busy. Love how 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 puts it. Let's read it together out loud up on the screen. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you are saying, say, what? Pray continually? Is that even possible? Well, no, if you think that the only way to pray is out loud. 
some sort of speech. But what if prayer was just an ongoing conversation throughout the day? I was thinking about it this week. Sometimes you hear people in Christian circles say, when it's time to pray, who wants to dial and who wants to hang up? I can't stand that. You know why? You know what prayer really is? Uh, You know, this is, you know, God, I got God on speed dial or whatever. You know, like, actually, this has been on all day because he's been speaking and I've been talking to him just throughout the day, so I just leave it on. I don't hit hang up. It's just on. And so we're just going to continue that conversation now, and then when we're done with our official prayer here in our group or our Bible study or whatever, um, I'll just leave my phone on because God might want to say something to us on the way home. So we'll just kind of leave the phone on. That's what it means to pray continually. Whether that's journaling or listening or talking to God, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be this frustrating, complicated thing. It is an intimate relationship with God. I love, (laughs) there's a story of Martin Luther, yes, that Martin Luther that we get our name from here, and how busy he was. And there's this quote that he says, On one of his really busy days, he says, I have so much to do. My schedule is so full. I'm sure none of you can relate to this. I am so busy, he said, that today I think I must spend the first three hours in prayer. Think about that for a second. I'm so busy that I am so dependent and reliant on the air I breathe called prayer that before I do anything else, I'm going to talk to God. I'm just going to tell you this and challenge you with this. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. Because some of you, the pace at which you're living your life is sabotaging the man or woman of God that you want to be. Prayer requires slowing down and listening. Don't have time? You've got time. You've got time. And last but not least, number four, the next myth, the last one that's, I don't know, this one sneaks up on us sometimes. Isn't prayer just for people that have real issues? I mean, isn't prayer for people that have bad things going on? I can't tell you how many times I've probably stood up here and said, we're going to have prayer partners after worship, and I guarantee for some of you, the first thing that goes through my mind is, is there anything terrible or horrible going on in my life? Nope. Okay, out the door. We have reduced prayer to catastrophes. God is God. He's a being. He's not a vending machine. He wants to be in a relationship with you. I love that about James. He says, is, is, anybody, is anybody sick? Let's, let's pray for him. Is anybody happy? Let's sing songs of praise. You have a big test coming up? Are you looking for a job? Are you struggling in your finances? Did you find a job? Can we rejoice with you? Did you get engaged? Did you have a baby? Did anything even small happen that we can just thank God for? One of my dreams for this church is that before and after worship, I will look around and there'll just be little pods, little groupings of people praying together. Because you all talk to each other before and after. I think you like each other. And so you're in conversation and then we just start saying, hey, can I pray for you right now? Hey, can I just pray about that for you right now? Not I will be praying for you, but I'm going to pray for you right now. And then somebody walks in and says, hey, can I join the prayer team? And I say, yep, start praying. Where's your prayer team? This is it. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you and it lives in me. You have the same access to God that anybody else does. (laughs) Only for people with issues... 
well, prayers for all of us, no matter what's going on in our life. We've been trying to instill this idea in our son, our two-year-old Caleb, and so we started to tell him stories at night. And the stories are the adventurer, the adventures of the brave warrior Caleb. And the brave warrior Caleb goes on all these different adventures, and so hypothetically he finds himself in situations that he doesn't know what to do, that he's scared or he's lost or he's afraid or he's alone, or he just flat out needs some advice and doesn't know what to do. And so we taught him in those moments, I'll say, what does Caleb do when he's scared or lost or afraid or doesn't know what to do? And he used to respond like really cute and fold his hands and he'd say, pray to God. And now because he's two and a half, he says, pray to God. And so a couple weeks ago, I came home from having my car at the shop and there's things going wrong with my car and it's starting to rattle and it's a Honda so it'll last for another 20 years but it's falling apart and I didn't know what to do like I just kind of felt fatherless in that moment of like and what do I do I need some advice and do I do I do I trade it in do I put more money into it do I try to fix it myself do I take it and I just looked at Tiffany we were talking in the kitchen I didn't know Caleb was behind me and I just blurted out I just I don't know what to do what should I do And this little small voice behind me blurts out, Pray to God! It's like I'm being discipled by my two-year-old. I'm like, no, actually that's it. Are any of you hurting? Are you lost or afraid? Have you had the greatest week of your life? Are you filled with joy today? first reaction, the first response to anything in life. Breathe in, breathe out. Pray, listen, pray, listen. Pray to God. And we won't want to just talk about this today. We actually want to do it. I was thinking of anything I could tell you this morning. It's not go join a small group. It's not get involved. It's not volunteer. It's not get busy for Jesus. The number one thing I want to challenge you with in 2016 is learn to receive from God. Do you know how to just be with him and just receive, not do anything for him, not do a Bible study, not fill in blanks, but listen to the still small voice of God and let him rejoice over you and pour his love into your heart. Because then, out of the overflow of your heart, serving, not even going to be an issue. You, You won't be able to help yourself. You'll be so loved and poured into, you can't help but serve. Joining a small group, a life group here, taking a class, non-negotiable because I was created for a community. I've been so loved, I I have to love other people. Coming to worship, I'm not going to worry about what people are doing around me, if they're raising their hands or dancing or jumping up. and It doesn't matter because I'm living for an audience of one. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care if my prayers come out all weird. They're not weird to God because he knows it anyway. So we're not just going to talk about prayer, we're going to do it this morning. The gift that we can give you this morning is being in God's presence. I came across this random quote this week and it just nailed it for me. I'd never heard of this guy before, but his name is Antoine de saint Expery. obviously a very good friend of mine. And he says that, just listen to this. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity I can't convince you to pray. 
I can't convince you that prayer is worth it. I can't convince you that going all in in your relationship with Jesus is worth it. All I can do is point you to a God that loves you more than anything else, more than you will ever know. All I can do is point you to the sea and say, isn't it beautiful? Now let's go build a ship, a.k.a. let's go be the church. I can point you to the ocean and the beauty of what Jesus has done and an intimate conversational relationship with him. So what we're going to do is the band's going to lead us in a song and I'm just going to lead us in some prayer beforehand and we're just going to enter into this time where we sing, Holy Spirit, come and fill this place and come and fill our hearts. And there's nowhere else to go. There's nothing more important to do than to be in your presence, God. So we're going to pray and we're going to sing and we're going to pray and we're saying we're just going to be with God for a little bit. So I'd invite you to stand. Just get comfortable. Just stand on up. We're just going to prepare our hearts to sing to him. So whatever fits for you, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to hold them out like this, if you want to close your eyes, if you want to keep them open, whatever, whatever you want to do. Father, we just keep this conversation going that's been going with you the whole day. God, we repent for how complicated we have made prayer. God, it's us. <laughs> it's your friends at Hope Des Moines. We're just hanging out with you this morning. We just love being with you. There's nothing greater. God, we confess our sin to you this morning. We bring anything from our week to you, God, things from this past week, maybe things that we feel ashamed of, things, things we've done, things we've left undone, the things we know that, about, the things we don't know about, God, we confess those things to you and we ask that you would take our sin and separate us from, our, from it as far as the east is from the west. And God, we ask now that you would fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit that we would just live and be in your presence. And may this song be our prayer to you as you call us to be still and know that you are God as we sing to you now. There's nothing worth more